I am professional wrestler Chris Rex, and if you're hearing my voice, that means you're listening to the Bear of Texas podcast. Dallas Cowboys fans, are you ready? Are you ready to hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Are you ready to hear what I, the Bear of Texas, has to say regarding the Dallas Cowboys? Well then, grab a beer, have a seat, and buckle up. Because this ride will start out slow, but I guarantee you it will intensify by the second. And here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Bear of Texas, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Cowboys Talk, the Dallas Cowboys discussion segment of the Bear of Texas podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the moment you've all been waiting for, the return of Wiley, a.k.a. the Venomous Dare. Wiley, what's going on, brother? Well, after that repugnant display, there couldn't be a better guest to have on because no one is more hard-hitting or visceral or borderline mean-spirited when it comes to just smashing the audience over the head with the truth and what better game to talk about than this one because although the score at the end looked rather close and Dak Prescott did the Dak Prescott special of filling up that stat sheet with those garbage time pass yards this game was actually a disgrace and even though we're really here to focus on the Giants if we have stuff to go off of we're gonna have to talk about the Brown game you're damn right we are I mean (laughs) NFC East is three and twelve and one. That's just how much of a disgrace the freaking division is. Yeah, the thing that you have to consider about the NFC East is the Washington football team was dead on arrival. Uh, Haskins doesn't have talent. Really, the only player on that team is Terry McLaurin that you have to watch out for, and that's more of like a fantasy football threat more than anything. So you don't have to worry about them. They're going to be bottom five. The Giants are pretty bad too. Terrible defense, bad line, not a lot of weapons. Saquon is starting to sort of earn an injury-prone moniker. This is the second year in a row he's picked up a pretty significant injury. Even though he came back quickly from the one last year, he was clearly inhibited. So the Giants are pretty awful. Daniel Jones... Best case scenario, he'll be like a 6 out of 10. He'll be worse than Ryan Tannehill. There's no way that Daniel Jones will finish his career and have a better career than Ryan Tannehill. And the Eagles, they're pretty average and can never get out of their own way or stay healthy. So this is an auto-win division for the Cowboys, and they're just absolutely hamstringing themselves with their own ineptitude. And the defense is just truly appalling, Alex. Uh-huh. Appalling. The defense has the worst negative turnover ratio in the freaking league. Can't even force turnovers. Can't do anything, man. And let me take it up a notch. Cowboys defense allows an average of 431 yards of total offense. That's actually 30th in the league. But honestly, the quite the fact that there's Atlanta and Seattle that's worse than us, 
it doesn't make things better because our defense is absolutely horrid. Ugh, it makes me sick thinking about it. Well, what frustrates me about the defense isn't the lack of getting to the quarterback because that's really been an issue since DeMarcus Ware has left. I know that was a long time ago, but the guys that have sort of had flash-in-the-pan years were just that, flashes in the pan. There wasn't a lot of longevity with people like DeMarcus Lawrence in terms of consistent year-by-year production. Yeah, I mean, he might have been on the team year after year, but in terms of being an elite pass rusher type, Cowboys have really lacked that. Second of all, Sean Lee version 2, Leighton Van Der Esch, is really proving to earn that moniker in every way, including the injury-prone style. He plays with such reckless abandon, and because he sustained severe neck and head injuries early on, it wasn't like a biceps or something. His career outlook is not good, as much as it pains me to say, because that's really the cornerstone of the defense. And the guy that is sort of like the putty, in a way, because the Cowboys' defense is deeply flawed, as we know, but Vandrush is a guy who seals up a lot of those flaws, not just in the linebacking core, but also in the secondary and line. So him going down really opened the floodgates for the ineptitude. It is, it's, it's really sad, but the guy that's really been exciting for the defense, honestly, I mean, Alan Smith has really been doing great for you know, a guy who's been out of football for a long time. He's really picking up the groove. He's showing that he still loves the game, and he's worked really hard to get to this point. So I wish the guy luck, but this defense has got to, got to get their shit together, man. Well, do you remember that penalty on Smith where it was a screen pass and he ran out and covered and it was a textbook tackle and the Cowboys got screwed? There were two or three plays that were just monumental in terms of momentum being shifted from one side to the other or momentum really being forced from one side to the point where it almost looked like the Cowboys weren't going to be able to come back. So to me, I'm not like, it's really foolish to do a Cowboys podcast and every other week you're like, Oh, the refs, we got screwed, but there were some weird calls. And, uh, I saw Zeke Elliott, of course, tried to get in at the goal line. And then he sort of like rolled over into it, and they didn't give it to him. But I, I didn't think it was a particularly well-officiated game. And it seems to me that every time the Cowboys play, there's always more, you know, probably 99% of the time there's questionable officiating, okay? There was a play against the Browns where, I don't know the dude's name, is number 49 made a tackle, which was clean, and that would have resulted in interception in the wrong way. But the referee decides to call that unnecessary roughness. You remember, you know the play I'm talking about? I do. And here's how I think I would sum up the ref issues. Is And this will help us move on and get to what people really want to hear about, which is the rest of the game and the Cowboys players. Because to beat the... It was the ref's refrain, I think, is sort of old hat, honestly. So this is the crux of the issue. The reason it seems like the Cowboys always get screwed by the refs is because the NFL has become a deeply flawed, over-officiated league where the defense really isn't even able to be played because there have been so many rules made against it. So whenever you have that and you have a poor Cowboys defense 
and the league office is a little bit biased against the Cowboys and Jerry. It seems like the Cowboys are always getting screwed. And a lot of that has to do with throwing ineptitude, their own lack of discipline, and their own lack of talent. So I think that's what we should say about the refs, and we should just really talk about what went wrong for the defense because it wasn't just a matter of, wow, we can't stop them or we can't stop one specific player because whenever I look back at the playoff game against the Rams, that's the sort of thing that I think of was the Cowboys couldn't stop the run. They didn't have an answer for Anderson. And it wasn't really like that with the Browns. The Browns were sort of putting on an offensive coach's and that was not only the line coach, but the offensive coordinator. Just a montage, basically. If the uh, line coach wanted to just make a highlight reel of what to do, well, that was it. Because the Browns lead the league in rush attempts on first down. They really like to ground and pound Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. Obviously, Chubb got hurt. He'll be out for like four to six weeks, I think. But they're still going to really stick to the run and use it aggressively. Remember, Cream Hunt entered this game with an injury and still ran all over the Cowboys, despite not even really having to touch the rock that many times. No, and what was it was embarrassing that the Cowboys couldn't stop the run, even though Nick Chubb got hurt early on in the game. I mean, anything considering the Cowboys' defense at this point, Wiley, it is sad. And you want to talk about something being sad? Three hundred and thirty-three yards of offense that the Cowboys allowed the Browns to have in the first half of that game. If that's not dismal, then I don't know what then I don't know what dismal is, man. Or, or, well, or in your words, it's fraud, right? It is a fraudulent play from the Cowboys' defense to get embarrassed so holistically and across the board in such an agonizing way. This isn't just a team that got run over by a backup running back. This is a team that had a rival in Odell Beckham Jr. just style on them. People always say the phrase, and not just. Uh, you or your guests on your podcast, but people on mainstream television networks love to trot out this phrase, and it's true. Elio Beckham always has great games against the Cowboys. That's because the Cowboys' secondary has been terrible for years. So Odell Beckham torches the Cowboys' secondary, styles on him. Jarvis Landry's throwing touchdown passes, for Christ's sake. The game is rapidly getting out of hand. Baker Mayfield is missing go routes that would put the game out of hand. And still, the Cowboys find themselves being humiliated. And if you turn this game off five minutes in to the third quarter, as I'm sure many people would have, I watched every snap for the record because doing the show. But if I wasn't, I probably would have turned it off in agony. But if you had right then, a little bit into the third quarter, that was when the Cowboys' embarrassment was at its height. And that's when they were starting to put up little graphics on the screen saying things like worst uh, worst Cowboys loss of all time, like biggest point deficit, uh, worst Cowboys defense since the expansion era in terms of yards given up and whatnot. And they were just airing the Cowboys out, the Fox production team was, and they deserved it. They did, and here's a little fact, and this is, this is really interesting. The Cowboys have allowed 38-plus points. In three straight games for the first time since 1960. Yep. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's sad. I mean, well, are these, are these world-beating offenses either? Like, let's be honest. 
Well, like, well, you know, you got Seattle and Cleveland for sure. The the Rams are flashy but overrated. Mm-hmm. Seattle's Seattle's good. Whatever, I'll give you that one. And the Browns' and, offense is good, whether we like it or not. Well, I mean, yeah, they're they're good, but and they're not world beaters. The point is, is they're not having to face the 2007 Patriots, uh, you know, the 2009 Packers. These aren't bad offenses, but that you shouldn't be giving up 38 points to every single one of them. They're not elite-level offenses. The Browns are not an elite-level offense. The Browns were a middling team. The Browns were a squad that if you're a Cowboy fan who expects his team to actually make the playoffs, considering how bad the NFC East is, you better hope you can. Then you look at the squad and you say, we should beat the Browns. And not only did you not beat the Browns, but you were embarrassed by the Browns. You took an offensive coordinator for the Browns and made him look like a genius. Everything they ran in practice worked exactly how they planned it the first time. No adjustments were made. You were pounded gratuitously on the run. There were no adjustments, not only in terms of scheme, but in terms of attitude or blitz packages. It was just more of the same all day long from the Cowboys' defense. And whenever you can't stop the run at all, it's going to be very hard to win, and it can be demoralizing. A lot of the time, the only way that you can beat that if you can't actually stop it on defense itself is you get out to such a big lead where they can't afford to run it a lot. The Cowboys are the opposite. Uh, fumbleitis. If you look at... Uh, <laughs> if you look at... Oh, I'm just laughing because it's so disgusting to think about all the Cowboys fans who look at the stat sheet of the quarterback Dak Prescott at the end of this game and go holy crap what an incredible game Dak had I can't believe they lost Dak did so well when in reality it was the contrary and this is what happens so often Dak hides in the stat sheet and he's a fraud in the early and mid game and then the Cowboys face an insurmountable disadvantage the defense plays insanely soft just so the Cowboys can't score in three plays Dak has a few 70-yard drives where he airs it out on a really soft defense with a touchdown. And by the end of the game, he looks decent. And by the end of the season, he's going to have a lot of yards and a lot of touchdown passes, and the Cowboys are not going to have a good record, and they're not going to be a playoff threat. And he's going to say, look at me. I got my numbers. I deserve the big payday. And that's why I think Dak Prescott is a poison to this team. You see, and this is what we've been explaining for the longest time. He's putting up those good numbers against horrible defenses, especially the Seattle defense, okay? But we have to give, okay, that interception he had at the end of the game against the Browns, that was not on deck. That was actually on No, the yes, it was. No, I mean, that was to, he threw into two it. safeties. No, no, no. Dak threw into double safety coverage. And, I, like, Amari, it's not like Amari was great, but Dak threw into double safety help, and he did another thing. He did that exact same thing two other times that game, throwing into double safety, and they just screwed up and didn't get the interception. So even though Dak had the one pick and the one fumble, he actually lucked out a couple times making really bad decisions. And I really want to point to the third quarter and the end of the second quarter where Dak Prescott's flaws as a quarterback were put on full display. And it's not the sort of flaws that Tony Romo had where he runs around like a maniac and throws the Rambo pass and it gets picked and the most blatant idiot fan can go, oh, see, Romo's an idiot. He turned it over. Romo screwed the pooch. Dak's mistakes were more low-key because 
They were just like inconsequential incompletions seemingly, but they were passes that an NFL quarterback should make literally 10 out of 10 times. I'm talking about the passes to the flat where he overthrew the guy. And you might say, well, why is he not being more specific? Because it happened multiple times. If you look in the second and third quarter specifically, Dak Prescott was doing his typical habit of throwing below people significantly at their feet as well as behind them and then overthrowing them. And these were not contested throws. These were easy, give-me throws to the flats. He was botching. And Dak, the fact that he has had this many years in the NFL and he still is not making those plays is laughable because even the the mid-tier quarterbacks, like your Kirk Cousins, your Ryan Tannehill, those guys nail those passes. Last year when the Minnesota Vikings were good, that's what all Kirk Cousins was doing was throwing screen passes and easy routes to the tight end predicated off of play action. Hello, what do you think the Cowboys offense should be based around? How about the highest paid back in the league? How about what's worked for them in the past, Zeke Elliott? But no, Mike McCarthy wants to open up the second half with an air. He, open, he wants to open up the game, the first half, with an air raid offense and get behind because Dak isn't accurate enough to execute an offense like that. And it's just stylistically idiotic. And you can blame the offensive coordinator. Or to me, the buck stops with McCarthy. I don't like what if you're 10 minutes into the first quarter and you've seen all those passes, if that you're the head coach, I don't care if you've told the offensive coordinator he has autonomy. You've got to lean over and tell him, dude. Let Zeke eat. What the hell are you doing? You know, I gotta say this, and he, and here's this is something I've researched. In his tenure, in his 13 years with the Green Bay Packers, Mike McCarthy never had a running back finish among the top three in carries and top five rush yards at all. So this guy is predicting the the guy who wrote this article is predicting that Ezekiel Elliott is gonna be traded. I oh, mean, please. I mean, no, you know, this is merely the, this is merely just this guy's thought. I mean, I respect his opinion. He is putting it's up. Just, it's he, just a, it's an idea. It's yeah, you it's can't idea, even consider yeah. it a rumor. Yeah, it's an idea, and look, whatever happens, Zeke, happens, didn't, but, Zeke didn't get the ball once. They're gonna, they're not gonna trade him. That's insane. It is, but yeah, Tony Pollard, Butterfingers. It's been more about the offensive scheming than Zeke, man. Like honestly, Zeke's been a little off, but. It's more coming down to the offensive scheming. Look at the first half of the Browns game. Look how much spread there was. Zeke isn't a guy who's that much of a threat out of the spread. He's not a Sproles-type running back that excels at little screen, little dink and dunk, little shifty hide. He's not that kind of guy. Zeke is a power eye formation. Ground and pound. Grind you down. Take a lead. And just run it down your throat in the fourth quarter. And Dak isn't a spread offense kind of quarterback. I don't understand how we've seen these guys in this system with the same freaking talented group around them when it comes to the line and the plethora of players that they're surrounded by that are just so good and they still don't even understand their basic strengths and weaknesses in players. If you go back and look at that first half film, that was a offense that was designed for a Drew Brees. A Drew Brees and Chimera. Lots of shotgun. Lots of draw. You know, uh, the ability for a quarterback to show off his accuracy. Dak is inaccurate. It's not even fair to say that Dak has below average accuracy. For an NFL quarterback, 
Dak is straight up inaccurate. He has developed not at all in this regard. In fact, if you look at his rookie year, remember, he made all that acclaim because of his inability to turn the ball over and the fact that he was sort of heralded as this game manager guy that wouldn't screw up. But what do we see now? We see Dak has regressed in that regard. He still can't really throw the deep ball. He still makes the unforced error frequently. I mean, I'm no, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, but this is going to be the not only the crux of the season, but the crux of this postseason is your view on Dak Prescott. And this is really one of his biggest weaknesses, so I have to bring it up consistently, is that he makes a lot of unforced errors accuracy-wise. And just to the point where, yeah, he's not going to like make stupid decisions in terms of completely airmailing it and turning it over a lot, but it was just brutal to watch him in that third quarter and that second quarter slop the ball around from the, the uh, spread offense formation, the shotgun, and just make a fool of himself, honestly. That was awful to watch. You see, Wiley, and you know, this is why I love having you on the show. You see, folks, Wiley is just simply telling it like it is. I know a lot of you do not like hearing Wiley have to say those things, but guess what? Wiley's doing what he's supposed to do. We're doing what we're supposed to do. We're just telling the damn truth. It's unfortunate that we have to criticize Prescott like this, but guess what? It's reality. We have to face the reality. I mean, look, if we let Prescott walk, you know what? You might not understand it at first, but if it comes to the point where you finally do get it, I'll just be here to say Wiley tried to explain it to you, but it's unfortunate. Some people just don't get it. But I'll, I'll be honest, Wiley. Some people, people who've actually given reviews to this uh, podcast, it seems to me they're the people who actually understand where you're coming from. And in Europe, you know, they really agree with you because there's not a lot of Cowboy fans like that. Well, Alex, let me tell you, you just said something I find sort of interesting. You said, oh, it's we don't want to criticize Dak. You know, it's sort of a shame we have to criticize Dak. And I couldn't disagree with more, Alex. You know what the shame is? The shame is the Cowboys haven't been relevant since the mid-90s. That's the shame. It the is. shame is America's team and one of the greatest fan bases and one of the most passionate fan bases in sports has to watch one repugnant disgrace of a team just get embarrassed on the national stage and has to have these absolute slime balls like Stephen A. Smith take shots at the Cowboys and just absolutely revel in the Cowboys' misery. Meanwhile, Jason Garrett for 10 years. And if we're not honest about the flaws of the team, then we're going to be sitting here the very next year still in agony and just sort of pretending to be fumbling around for the answer. The answer is obvious. It's a quarterback issue. Dak's ceiling is a 6 out of 10. He does have his pros. He's very durable. That's probably number one at the top of the list by far. But let's really consider with Dak's lack of passing accuracy at all ranges. You know, at first it was like, Oh, Dak can't throw the deep ball. And then we see that he can't really throw the short or medium ball either. And also, he doesn't really have a, a hose or what you would call a plus arm. He doesn't have a very strong arm in terms of being able to really air it out. So Dak is just a bad thrower. And then he was sort of built of this guy who's a little bit mobile. Dak didn't look mobile at all. In fact, not only did he look immobile last game... He looked like a guy that had very little idea of when the pocket was collapsing. 
an immobile quarterback with little awareness. So you take an immobile quarterback with little awareness and couple that with the fact that he can't actually throw, and what are you left with? A guy who's telling you he deserves $40 million that deserves a contract with the word fraud on it and no money. Well said, buddy. I, I applaud it. Now, let's go on to this game against the New York Giants. You know, this game is special in a way. I mean, you know, and I said this before. The return of a certain guy that you and I obviously do not like. You just mentioned his name. I'm talking about Jason Garrett returning to Arlington. But this time, he is on the enemy's side. Okay, and, and this New York Giants team, you know, 0-4, and, and you know, I'm still asking myself, why the hell did they get Daniel Jones? And here, speaking of Daniel Jones, here's a little fun fact that you might find interesting. He leads the NFL with two red zone interceptions. Huh. I mean, it's, it's, like you, it's like you've explained it before. He's a fraud, right? But based on uh, this whole game, it's uh, what gets to me, Wiley, is... You know, just how bad the NFC East is, you know, the Cowboys have to win this game because losing this game would be nothing but an utter disappointment. I mean, I might even cry, to be honest with you. Well, Alex, this is one of those games that you look at on the schedule and you look at the circumstances and you say, all right, this is must win. And you know what game this is eerily similar to as far as how it feels going into in terms of the performance of the team and the expectations of the opposition? Shoot. The Jets game last year that the Cowboys Ugh. embarrassingly lost. Ugh. And think about it. It was around the middle of the season. You got a coach under siege, a team that looks like they can't do anything right in New York. And the Cowboys just implode in embarrassing fashion. And this is a must-win game. Only 16 games in the NFL still, right? Or did they expand it? Nope, we're still at 16. Alright, that's what I figured. Remember guys, only 16 games in the NFL, so... I, I know we pointed this out a lot last year, but... Whenever you shadow box the NFL schedule and consider the implications of winning and losing you have to remember that every loss is set in stone. So if you get to about four or five losses, and it's not even November, suddenly you're going to have to go on a run of, you know, eight out of nine. You're going to have to win eight out of nine games to even be mediocre. So that is very interesting in terms of football is sort of the opposite of baseball, where baseball is like the marathon, the slog, being able to do it all the way through and prove it over a long time. In football, if you can steal the odd game, it can really have a huge impact on your season. And for instance, this isn't really like a steal, but it's something that you'll look at throughout the year and be able to smirk at, is that tie for Philly, because that might come back to bite them when that really should have been an easy win. Right, so I'm looking at the game. The Cowboys are favored with a 9.5 margin. As we, Like I said, the Giants are 0-4. Daniel Jones, you know, very horrible numbers, two touchdowns, five interceptions. I can honestly say that to say that New York Giants <clears throat> hate this guy is an understatement. Because, you know what, Wiley, get ready to laugh. Because when I think of Daniel Jones, after he screws up, he has a horrible game, there's a certain scene from Harry Potter that comes to mind. 
this is regarding how he took over for Eli Manning. New York Giants will look at Daniel Jones and say, how dare you stand where he stood? Well, that's pretty much the response of the New York fan every time their team struggles for a week. They have what you might call a high gratification expectation up there in NY. And they draft the guy from Duke who sort of has his head up his ass all the time, doesn't really have any idea when the pocket's collapsing, can't protect the ball, doesn't really understand NFL coverages that well, and he has a terrible nickname. This is a great example of how when you play in like a big market, not only are you going to get hyper criticized or hyper analyzed I say criticized but if you do well call it analyzed but the point is you're going to be under the microscope in New York and Jones and Darnold both are nothing but mediocre and you see this ongoing thing where the players are at first heralded as gods because it's New York and everyone's so excited we got a quarterback there's no like, oh, well, uh, how is this guy going to be? It's oh, it's so excited. you know, It's going to be the ceiling. And then after two losses, it's like, get rid of the guy. And that's just New York for you. So it's sort of funny to be able to beat New York and be in the division with New York because you can hear the, all the kvetching and the reactionaries of people who just absolutely detest Texas and Dallas and don't want to lose to the Cowboys. So... It is really cool to actually be in the division with the New York team because it's not really like that for Texas and any of the other sports. It is, and honestly, the Cowboys have swept the New York Giants three years in a row. And the last two times, you know, we've absolutely destroyed the New York Giants. First well, they've been horrible and still are. They still are. But I, what I just, okay, I'm, I'm taking a look right now at these total offense stats. New York Giants are actually 31st in the league in... Ironically enough, the New York Jets, they're actually tied with the New York Jets with a total of 1,112 yards of total offense so far. But now I'm going to look at yards per game because that's what I do. And Cowboys, of course, are on top. And the New York Giants, you know, <laughs> same thing, tied for 31st uh, in the league. So gradually that makes them both the worst in the league. You know, if ever there was evidence how empty, like, total yardage is as a stat, there you go. The Cowboys lead the league. Yeah. But, not 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 the explosive Tampa offense with all the weapons. Not Sean McVay's God Squad of pre-snap motion and three receiver sets out there. You know, I mean, I could go on and on and name you all these. Not uh, this, not the Saints with Taysom Hill, and not Aaron Rodgers. Up, no, no, it's the Cowboys who are inept and are a laughing stock. They got the yards. There you go, Dak fans. That really does sum it up for you. Now, as horrible as the Giants' offense is, look, and, and as horrible as our Cowboy defense is, I can't really say that the New York Giants are going to have a bad game on offense because that's just how terrible our defense is. But then again, I'm thinking, you know what? Daniel Jones, he's not Baker Mayfield. I mean, he's sure as hell not Russell Wilson. <laughs> But while that is all true, let's look. I mean, looking at our Cowboys defense, I mean, the way our defense is, Wiley, I'm going to ask you, it makes you want to puke, right? Well, it's repulsive. What's the like about it? If you just take a brief overview, a little snapshot of it, defensive line's not very good at stopping the run and can't rush the passer at all. 
The linebacking core is without their heart and soul and is relying on a middling player to carry them and do the work that even a Hall of Famer couldn't properly do. And the secondary, as usual, is the most repugnant element. And the thing that I think bothered me most about the Browns game wasn't the insanely soft coverage, or how consistently the coverage was insanely soft, but the tackling by the DBs. Oh. These DBs gave the least heart. They, they just didn't try. The, the, the tackles that they attempted were just, I'm getting the shit kicked out of me, half-assed, shoestring tackles from guys that had checked out. The safeties were coming in and diving at Cream Hunt's feet. That's a big part of why the Russian game went off. Exactly. You see, you see, that's the key. They could not tackle. I mean, let alone, you know, they could not make anything on coverage. They're pathetic. Not Absolutely only could pathetic. They... I mean, now, now the emotions are rising if you, if you hear my tone well. Well, Alex, not only couldn't they tackle, but what really got under my skin, like the two things that repulsed me most about that game, even though they weren't like the most egregious or necessarily the most important in the game, but the things that made me audibly scoff and disgust were that sequence where Dak threw multiple passes into the ground and basically solo killed the drive but with unforced errors that a high schooler wouldn't make. And then the other thing that disgusted me was as the opposing team was ripping the Cowboys secondary to shreds, the defensive backs who had been beaten on the play didn't even have the courage, despite the fact that they've been they're making millions to do so to do actual like effort wrap up tackling versus receivers their size and would just like try to take shots at their back and they would inevitably miss and give up yards after the catch. And whenever safeties would come up to help, they would just try to shoestrings tackle instead of properly wrapping up. This was a secondary that had clearly checked out, that didn't give a damn, that's poorly coached, that doesn't care, and that's full of guys that are slow and inept and unable to keep up with the top-tier receiver in the current NFL. It's unbelievable. And some, you know, all these Cowboy fans, I mean, even on social media, it's even trending. Sign Earl Thomas. Look. I love Earl Thomas. You know, I grew up being a huge fan of the Texas Longhorns, and Earl Thomas is always going to be one of my favorite players to play at the University of, T of Texas. Well, granted, y'all, Earl Thomas is one of the greatest safeties of all time. And I know that a lot of Cowboy fans want him on the team. If he comes to the team, really, I'm just going to go like, okay, cool. But honestly, I do not feel that signing Earl Thomas is going to help the defense much. It might help a little bit because we have a legend, but... Let's keep in mind, Earl Thomas is 31 years old. I mean, I'm sure he's still got some gas left in the tank. He's still in good shape. But it's one player. I mean, it's not it's one. It's well, how not much would he cost? Player. Yeah, that's veteran the minimum? Yeah, also, if it's for the veteran minimum, hell yeah. But he thinks he's still like all pro, like hard-ass Legion of Boom Earl Thomas, doesn't he? He believes, he's... he probably believes, you know, to answer your question, I'm going to say he probably believes he's still in the, in the 2013 season where that legendary exactly. Seattle defense was. Look, I That's why him. no one signed him. He's clearly lost. Not he's not just lost a step. He's lost several steps, and probably one of the positions in sports where speed and that little just minuscule amount of quickness is very important. And he's out there asking for all pro money, and he should probably just go on a practice squad somewhere and take a shot and prove it. And at the Cowboys fans, Earl Thomas is not going to save you, okay? 
Cowboys fans, you want to hear the hard truth? You know what would actually be best long-term for this franchise? You know what would actually help them win a Super Bowl the soonest? Is if we just see what we just saw last year against the Browns, every freaking week, just firing squatted, disgraceful performances, repugnant displays by the defense, can't stop a nosebleed, Dak just throwing it into the ground on freaking flats to the passes to the flats Zeke Elliott with less than 20 carries if we get a whole season of that oh there's no way Dak's gonna get re-signed and then we can move on we still got the line to work with and Zeke Elliott the NFC East is so horrifically bad that you could go out and get a guy like Tannehill or a Foles and go 10 and 6 well said and and honestly, you know, you answer the and not for forty the mil either. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, and honestly, the fact, and, and you know, and, and, and as I'm wrapping up this Prescott talk on my end, it's ridiculous. It's you know what, for him to want forty million dollars a year, Wiley, there's a lot of ways to describe it. But for me, I'm just gonna say it the way it is. I'm gonna get straight to the point. I think it's called arrogance. This is a guy who is not even top ten at his position at the moment and wants to be paid the most. He thinks that because he plays for a big market team and he doesn't get hurt and he's been to the playoffs that he's entitled to become this top-tier, top-paid guy. Him and Zeke, when they get the money and they want to put their feet up. And you know what I say? Put your feet up when you got a ring there because the Cowboy fan is starving for a title. And it's really obvious to see that the biggest two weapons on the Cowboys' offense have sort of taken a step back and don't really play with the same sort of intensity. And it's not really beating a dead horse to say that in football, there is a high turnover rate with stuff like injuries, and you can't have a line full of all pros for a decade straight. You got Travis Frederick uh, had his injury issues, of course, and... uh, Tyron Smith has struggled with injury issues as well. Across the line, on the offensive line, you have seen guys who you would think, oh yeah, this stalwart, he's there every year, he's perfect, he's God tier. And even though they are for a time, oh, well, we pissed away another season with Dak. Oh, we pissed another way a season, Zeke suspension. Oh, and suddenly it's like you don't have those guys on the line anymore. So it the point is is that if we do decide to do some sort of half measure, which would be the worst, I guess the worst would be like a $40 million 10-year albatross deal, but like that's not going to happen unless no they win the hell. Super Bowl. Unless that might happen if they win the Super Bowl, but like that won't happen, so no. regardless. But the crux of the issue is you want to see the Cowboys eat the most amount of shit possible because guess what? If they just go to shit and they don't have any excuse but to switch it up quarterback-wise, then we can move on and we can use the skeleton of what's left to try to be a decent team. Remember, in 2016, you could have put 15 different quarterbacks into the Dallas Cowboys and they would have made it to the NFC title game for sure. They had the perfect line, seek at his peak, and the defense that had enough talent and spots to bend and not break. And this is why in football and in sports in general, you can't just like endlessly fritter away years 
and be the guy that says, oh, well, we'll give Dak another year. Look at his yards. We'll give, well, we can give Dak another year because he's like a leader and he doesn't get hurt. And uh, I like those Campbell Soup commercials. Like that's why you're a fraud. If you that's why you're a fraud. If you think that seriously, no, no, no. no. Well, you know, no. I'm not laughing because I think what you're saying is a joke. No, I completely agree with you, Ali. You know me. You know me very well. It's just because you know what? It's true. There are fans out there that love his commercials so much that they actually want him to stay. But you know what? You know. Uh, uh, but, but, but let me say this before we actually finally get into the real deep talking about the preview of Dallas and New York. Look. It's a bad idea to sign Prescott to $40 million a year also, based on aside from everything you said, because if we do, there's no way in hell we're going to keep Michael Gallup and C.D. Lamb, and we need those two guys. I mean, C.D. Lamb, I mean, you know, I'm going to be honest. This guy is making me proud, really proud. I mean, I had not been excited for a you know drafting a wide receiver in, in probably 10 years until we took C.D. Lamb. This kid, you know, scored, you know, his first touchdown, career touchdown against the Browns, and you know what? Why not make it two? I mean, this this guy's is improving each game. I mean, well, Michael Gallup is developing right alongside him and pulling coverage away from him, as is the ever talented Amari Cooper, who just got paid this offseason. Cooper is sort of like a stalwart, like you know what you're going to get from him, like top tier route running and like above average everything else, and pretty damn tough guy as well. And not someone who's an attention whore. So no. that's nice. But the, the Cowboys, like, they're pretty much destitute at tight end with Jarwin going down. That, that like, to have Jason Witten back was a disgrace. And, like, I know that Jason Witten is, like, a Cowboys Hall of Famer. I get that. Like, I, I'm completely aware of that. And I loved watching him play. But, guys, uh, the year before he became a broadcaster, Witten was gassed. He had nothing left in the tank. He was clearly 100% over the hill, a detriment of a player who was only in there because of his name and his legend status. And then he goes and steals a broadcasting job from someone who is actually talented on camera, can string a couple freaking words together. He's terrible at that. He's an embarrassment. He thinks he's going to be like his boy Romo, but he's not. Romo at least has a communications degree and is a quarterback. Wouldn't just ran into people, basically. So to save face, the Cowboys are like, well, you can't, you don't want to step down. And he's like, no, I don't want to step down. Everyone will know I stepped down because I suck. And they said, well, you just, we'll call it a comeback. So the crux of this story is Blake Jarwin was supposed to start that year. Jason Witten's comeback year, Jarwin had sat there and been a good boy and been patient. And guess what? We got an, an entire season of Blake Jarwin getting screwed and Jason Witten doing nothing. And then Blake Jarwin gets unlucky and gets hurt this year. You know, I'm glad you say that because this opened my eyes. Now I have to ask you, do you believe that the Cowboys took something from Jarwin that he worked very hard for and they should be ashamed <coughs> of themselves? Well, it's not that cut and dry because Jason Witten is like a Cowboys legend, but... Jarwin got the short end of the stick, and there's probably only like a handful of players in Cowboys history that they would ever consider bringing back after they were so obviously cooked. And maybe it was one. Like the thing is, is okay, you want to bring Witten back? Do it as a coach. Or the real crux of the issue here is Jason Witten didn't deserve the job he got. 
Jason Witten was a guy who didn't deserve his position in the first place. He got it because he was like a good football player on a prominent team for years that never got hurt and never said anything controversial. And it's hard to even call him like I, you know, like notice I didn't really say charismatic because although he is likable, he doesn't really have the diction and the verbal ability to be truly charismatic. He's sort of a bumbling buffoon. And whenever you listen to Jason Garrett, whenever he was a commentator, this was something that was abundantly obvious. And frequently, whenever you listen to commentators who were athletes and had no broadcasting experience, they will make very frequent verbal errors, but Witten was just a, a, just horrid. It's not like A-Rod where... He can like tell enough anecdotes and like be ch- kind of charming to like offset it. He was just brutal. You know, and based on the whole situation is, you know, you and I should have had that job because we know what we're saying. I mean, I don't mean to brag. I mean, yeah, we're still young. We still have our lives ahead of us. But or like, uh, you know, a, a journalist, not you or me, but I like a Mike Frances or a Chris Russo, or someone who is extremely talented and worthy of that seat and not oh he's coming off the field and he doesn't have any life skills let's give him like an easy landing then you get that then you get a shit product and that's what we saw with espn sunday night baseball we got jessica mendoza and a rod the double demo hire duo and thank god they at least had one qualified journalist on there matt vaskersian to just card carry that broadcast and did you know that that atrociously talentless woman, Jessica Mendoza, was eventually uh, removed from the broadcast at ESPN because she defended the, the cheating Houston Astros and actually was mean to Mike Fires, the guy who had the stones to go on record and expose them? She words, actually she talked shit about Mike Fires. <laughs> no, like in other, it's, it's worse than that. Like this woman is such a dim animal and such a worthless demo hire that she under she didn't have an even basic fundamental understanding of journalism to the point where one of the most just absolutely rudimentary things as a journalist is the ability to be able to use someone's name and attribute them as a source as opposed to print them as an anonymous source or simply having a conversation off the record if you print a big bombshell story about how these people cheated and no one goes on the record and it's he said, she said, and no one has the stones to put their name by it, it's nothing. It's gossip. It's hearsay. But for Mike Fires to say, I know I'm probably going to get shit talked. And if I was in the NL and they didn't have a DH this year, I might get thrown at. But I'm going to nut up and say, yeah, they cheated and it was wrong. You know, he, he got like just decimated on that just absolutely awful Tigers team two years ago. After a whole season of that, it was probably willing to like give it all up. You know what I mean? That was I mean, probably pretty torturous. I, mean, I have to praise the guy. He came out and said that we cheated. But let's now now let's really focus on the center of, a, of the center of the point for this episode. What is it going to take for the Cowboys to beat the New York Giants? So now we're officially going to preview. And I'm sure the fans listen to this. You know they're so excited to have you back. So everything you said, Wiley, don't worry. It's going to be greatly appreciated. I can promise you that, buddy. So let's well, get, let's get to this preview now. Let's do it. All right, I'm gonna stay off the point. First key to victory. Okay, number one, sack the fucking quarterback for God's sake. Don't let Daniel Jones make a fool out of you. Pound the dude. You know, 
bully him, you know, put take him down. I mean, <laughs> you all know what I'm saying. Sack the quarterback, for God's sake. Well, put pressure on him. Well, pressuring the quarterback is important in every game, but if you look at this game specifically, the New York Giants lack their best we- weapon, Saquon Barkley, who blew his knee out. Daniel Jones is a player who is specifically weak to pressure. He led the league in uh, turnovers from the quarterback position last year. This is a guy who is just a butcher back there with no sense of when the pocket collapses. He doesn't know when to get rid of the ball. He doesn't know how to protect the ball, and he's not very good at reading coverages. This is a guy that if ever there was a week for the Cowboys to luck into some turnovers, this is it. A young quarterback with a bad offensive line, with his best weapon gone, who also pass blocks for him. Uh, That's just really going to be a surefire way to tip the scales in your favor if you're the Cowboys because you really don't have to get to this guy this many times to rattle him. This is a guy who really looks like he is pretty uncomfortable out there if you get to him a couple times and pop him. He's not necessarily soft in terms of being able to like be intimidated or injured, but he will turn it over a lot. And I mean, if you look at some of the worst and worst, most inept offenses in the league, both of those New York teams are at the top of the list with the Lev Bell, Adam Gase-led Jets and the uh, Saquon Barkley-free Jason Garrett-led Giants. And I like how you mentioned he turns the ball over, so that begs the question, will the Cowboys' defense do something about it? You have a horrible quarterback that can that has a habit of turning the ball over. Are you going to do something about it? Are you going to take advantage of it? Well, I hope so. I mean, this is now the emotions are really pouring in. And normally I try not to be like this, but in this situation I can't fucking help it. And you can't fucking blame me, can you? You know. Well, it's week after week of this shit for year after year, and I'm I'm fed up with it. It was supposed to be different. Mike McCarthy era. I had literally hundreds upon hundreds of different cretins tell me how great Dak Prescott was till they were blue in the face. And then I was telling them that the empty passing yards didn't mean shit and he was inaccurate and they still said he deserved the $40 million. Oh, we got a franchise tag, ride it out with Mike, see what Mike can do with them. And here we are. Really should be winless. If we weren't playing the choking Atlanta Falcons, that game would have really should have been a loss. And the Cowboys, similar to how they looked in the Browns game, looked shitty in that game for a majority of the game and only in the last five minutes or so made it look close. That's another game that if you just look at the final score at the end, like say you were watching another game or you were working or something, if you just look at the final score and we're like, oh, wow, close game, Cowboy, Cowboys win. When in reality, if you watch the whole game, it was like, that was a total shit show. I can't believe they choked, just like the Super Bowl, LOL. And it was the same way against the Browns, except even Cleveland, as much of a joke as Cleveland is, couldn't choke that game away. If you're going to run that infrequently with a run-based team and a quarterback that really relies on play action for separation and big plays, uh, you're going to have a bad time. That's pretty damn simple. And it was established years ago that Dak Prescott was great on the bootleg. You run the ball a bunch of times, get the box stacked, and then let Dak run a bootleg out and find the mid-range route because the coverage broke down. 
this was the established way to win with Dak Prescott whenever he was a rookie. And the team is built exactly the same with Zeke in the O-line. And it's just vexing to see suddenly the offensive coordinator wants to spread it out like it's Texas Tech. And you asked what the keys to winning are. Pressuring Daniel Jones is more important than, you know, we can sit here and say every week, pressure the quarterback to we're blue in the face, knowing they probably won't. But this week specifically, man, I mean, if you those pressures are really going to be worth their weight in gold because of the opposing quarterback and his weaknesses. And the lack of Barkley, because the Giants offense was really all built around Saquon, who's a top-tier back. And Saquon was great out of the backfield, and he also blocked a lot. So the fact that he's gone is more than just, oh, well, the running back is gone. So not only do we need to pressure the opposing quarterback, but we need to establish the run game with Zeke Elliott. And even if we fall behind, even if there's an idiotic turnover or Pollard kicks another kickoff, you know what you do? You don't panic. You never panic. Here's what you do. You run with Zeke. Run with Zeke, and the New York Giants defense allows an average of 107 yards on the ground. And personally, I would love to finally see Zeke run for over 100 yards in this game. And as I'm looking at the New York Giants, allow a total of 328 total yards per game. I'm looking at the passing, and they're at 222 yards average. But I see the Cowboys offense making a change. I think I see the Cowboys offense, passing offense specifically, I can see them really having a hell of a game. There's a guy I gotta talk about, Dalton Schultz, because I don't know if you know this, Wiley, but when when I told when I explained that he, he there's a good chance he'll have a good game against Atlanta, people were calling me an idiot. I'm like people, I mean people were literally saying, okay, Alex, we get it. You th- he went to Stanford. You think that he's smart? Okay, well, and I said this before. Okay, well, okay, so he went to Stanford, and obviously, if he went to Stanford, that that obviously means that he's smart. But it's I mean it doesn't matter where he went. I'm like, dude, this guy's been on the team for a while. He's been waiting for a chance to make a name for himself. That chance has finally happened. So I'm I'm hoping, and I was pretty confident, that he would take advantage of it. And so far, he has. He's been doing fine. Yeah, but really, what this game is going to come down to is the Cowboys' ability to execute. Because not only on paper, but... In reality, the Cowboys are miles ahead of this team. This Giants team is inept. This Giants team is deeply flawed. This Giants team is poorly coached. Even as disappointed as we are as Cowboys fans, the Dallas Cowboys are eons ahead of the New York Giants in terms of roster, whether it just be the coaches on the staff, McCarthy versus Garrett. Uh, Even though that Saquon and Zeke are both top-tier guys, Cowboys have the better line. Cowboys have the better quarterback. And both of the defenses are fucking putrid. Yeah, you know, and based on what you said, everything, all those negatives about the Giants, it seems to me the Giants are just absolutely nothing. Like, they are nothing. The Giants are a cellar-dwelling team that is funny only to watch in the sense that it's funny to see their fans just freak out on a week-to-week basis and treat the people on the team as far as players like quarterback. We saw this with Eli Manning and like the coach, like with Tom Coughlin for years. The, the Giants lose one game, and it's like fire the coach, bench the quarterback. That's what the New York fan says every time they lose a game. So it's humorous in that regard, but 
I just really want to hammer home one major point. If you only walk away with two things after listening to this whole podcast or just this little snippet, it's these two things. Dak Prescott's a fraud and not the answer in Dallas. And this is a must-win game for the Cowboys because they're facing a repugnant, horrifically bad team. The former coach that not only did they just fire, this is the guy that they're blaming a decade of ineptitude on. This is a guy that not just the front office is like a ploy or a PR stunt, but almost every fan agreed, especially at the end, was the issue. And even if he wasn't the whole problem, he was a big fucking problem. And you know what? The Giants don't have their most lethal weapon. It's so easy to game plan for them. Their defense is cheesecloth. The Cowboys have so many freaking weapons, and the Giants really don't have any. And the lack of Saquon Barkley is going to be the night and day difference because if Saquon was actually here, it wouldn't really surprise me for Saquon to have like a crazy go-off game with a lot of catches from the backfield too and rip the Cowboys apart. But without Saquon, I'm not worried. No matter how bad the defense is, the, the offense should be able to outduel the like weaponless Giants offense. I mean, my God, if this is a team that we're saying is at least going to go 9-7, and seven, this is a must-win game. And it's a must-win game for a multitude of reasons. The record, if the Cowboys lose here yeah because the nfc east is such a joke they could probably like backdoor their way in undeservedly but if they lost this game it would prove that they really didn't deserve the spot you know even if mathematically it was possible it was like well if we just lost this fucking game we really don't deserve it but really the pillar jason garrett big red you have to beat this guy the first time back after you bitched about him for 10 straight years must win game. All right. So that wraps up the preview. Now let's get to the predictions. All right. For me, prediction number one. Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb both dominate. And you know And speaking of Amari Cooper, if you ask me, since he got paid, he's actually been he's been doing great. I mean, I've, I've liked what I've seen him so far. I mean, he's, got, he's been a little slow. You know, there's been some problems. But Amari Cooper overall... It's been respectable. And I spoke about C.D. Lamb. And C- you know, I-, I need to know if you agree with me on this, Wiley. Do you believe... I see the drafting of C.D. Lamb as the way to make up for-, for passing on Randy Moss back in 1998. I don't know why, but I just see it. I just feel like it's that kind well, of... Well, I, I don't think anything can make up for that. But one good point that I think you do sort of have in that statement is that for years and years, uh, the Dallas Cowboys had like the one big receiver and never had the off receiver, the number two guy, to compliment him. The best example of this, of course, was whenever they acquired uh, Terrell Owens, T.O., one of the best receivers ever. And it was, of course, a problem that safeties would just double him all the time because there was no second threat. So the Cowboys dumped a first-round pick to get former UT receiver Roy E. Williams. It's one of the worst trades in Cowboys history. Probably one of the worst trades in NFL history, if you ask me. A huge ripoff because Roy E. was terrible. But here's the punch, is that I think drafting CeeDee Lamb is a nice little reprieve because you have Gallup and Cooper, and Gallup is like a 
straight up proven number two guy. Very talented. He and he has even more room to develop into something better. But you kind of lack a third. You know, Lucky Whitehead's long gone. Like you're sort of scrounging at names here. Who is that guy who used to be on? Who was really fast? Tavon Austin. He's not really shit. So you need a third receiver, and you draft the guy who went to OU and is proven, and a lot of people knew. And from the first round, and now you have a legitimate third weapon, and you're really telling Dak Prescott, no excuses. Best back in the league, top tier receiver, and your two and three guys are good too. Someone has got to be open. This is an offense with a lot of big names. All right, so that wraps up prediction. Of, okay, so that's on my end. All right, so now you give a prediction, Wiley. Well, I think that Zeke is going to eat. I think that even a cretin could take a look at that VOD of that last atrocity against the Browns and say, hmm, the spread, and just watch, like, Dak, like, throw it at a guy's feet, like, six yards to his right. And, like, I just imagine the coach, like, or, like, uh, McCarthy, like, turning his gaze to Kellen Moore and being like, we're going to run more eye formation this week. Like, I'm picturing the Cowboys, whenever they get their first possession, picturing there to at least be three runs, and I think that Zeke Elliott will get a touchdown. If you look at the box score last week, Zeke Elliott was getting more looks in the air than he was on the ground. It just bad. I know I have mentioned this before, but it truly does boggle the mind to see a core held in long, in place for this long, to the point where it's like make or break almost an entire offensive line is going to cycle out in between them as far as the prime of their careers go. That's how like much time they've had. And then like in the in the uh, in basically like the the career defining game or the the uh excuse me when it gets to like the season defining moment in terms of it's Mike McCarthy's time, we have to win this game. It's Mike McCarthy's year. It's Dak Prescott's one off here. Like what happens? Like they run a offensive style that doesn't complement any any pieces they have on the field, except for the fact that the receivers are good. But the you know that obviously is complemented by pretty much every formation. So well, just total to, total nonsense. Like saw and like it, it. I'm no like football expert with the X's and O's and like super gosu, but like. Give me a break. You're going to tell Dak Prescott to play like Drew Brees? Like, it looks like he sat down and watched the Saints and was like, we're just going to rip 60 plays. And, like, that's what we're going to use this week is, like, this uh, Sean Payton-approved playbook. And it was horrific. It was awful. Sure was. Sure was. (laughs) You know, it seems to be like, based on what you say in this situation, Prescott seems to be in way over his head. Yeah, I mean, that much is obvious, but uh, agonizingly, this season doesn't really come down much to really the regular season record even because in the playoffs, that's the question. Have you seen the defense? Like, I don't care if Dak Prescott finishes the season with 7,000 yards. They will never, ever win an NFC title game. You don't even have to bother with the Super Bowl question. If they're not going to win it, they're not going to win an NFC title this year. The defense is too bad. 
you could put Mike Singletary and Chant Bailey on this defense and it would be middling. That's how bad they are. I mean, truly horrific. A bunch of guys who look uninspired. And the real takeaway for me, Alex, the secondary. The secondary, not only are they bad, but they don't care. And it is repulsive. It is repulsive, which leads me to another prediction. Daniel Jones has been sacked 14 times so far. That's tied for third in the in the leagues for most. Over, un, over under three. Yeah. So I'm going to say I think the Cowboys, are... the Cowboys defense is going to sack him six times. Oh, my God. Are you serious? You know, this because of how we explain how terrible Daniel Jones is, the blocking is horrible, and, you know, just how things are. I, I, I think if they – well – if the if they have their shit together, if they're prepared to go, then six quarterback sacks is possible. But realistically, I think they're capable of getting at least three. Honestly. Well, I mean, six would be ideal, and you're pretty much guaranteeing a win at that point. But you're also predicting one of the worst defenses in the league to pop off. If ever there was a time to do it, yeah, it would be this. But you know, I look at this game. To me, the game script is the Cowboys run a lot more and like get out ahead early and play like a more Dallas Cowboys style that you're used to seeing, like a 2016 style, like more eye formation, more ground and pound, more control style, you know? Mm-hmm. And then after they establish a lead, they're not really able to completely like stifle the Giants like every other team that's played the Giants, but they are able to like out, out punch them. So. I don't think that they'll like shut the Giants down. I do think they will sack Daniel Jones. I think they'll sack him twice. I think that maybe they can like get an interception off of a tip or a fumble because the guy pretty much plays like a college player as far as how he controls the ball still and how he protects the ball. And there just are so many very polarizing elements to this game. Look at a game like last week. Cleveland was pretty average. Like, they have big names, but across the board, like, they're a kind of an average, above-average team. The Giants, like, if we look at this week, it's going to be a very exciting game, and this is going to be one of the most 1-3-0-4 games, one of the most exciting matchups between those two records you'll ever see. Because if the Cowboys lose, not only are they done season-wise, like, season over, like, total sham. Consider benching Dak. No, I'm just kidding. But, like, it would be, like, season-endingly bad to lose. But it would really sting to have every every Giants, Eagles, and Redskin fan who's listened to us rightfully bitch about Garrett for years be able to say, I told you so. It wasn't really Garrett. Garrett's not that bad. When in reality, Garrett is horrific. So... That's why this is a must-win game, and it's going to be must-watch television because uh, they can't lose. Can't lose. No way. No way. And, and, and Okay, and speaking of the fans of the Washington football team, you know what? They have a horrible owner. They have horrible you know, front office. Everything is horrible. So really, they have no right to talk. Well, I mean, I can't really hate the fans too much in, the, in, a, in a sense because... A lot of times it's like you're just born there, so this is the team you support. But the uh, Washington football team is a total joke. Dan Snyder's worthless. 
And uh, I think that's a great note to end on, actually, other than final score predictions, which you've yet to give. All right, well, you know, yeah, <laughs> Daniel Snyder pretty much is. I mean, you know, been the owner since 99. What has the team done since? Really? Nothing. All right, final score prediction. Well, he, he, uh, he started price gouging people for parking, and he started charging them to go to training camp. Hmm. So that, that's what he's accomplished in his tenure. So what's the score going to be, buddy? I'm going to have to go with 28-17. Really? Yeah. That's about what I'm thinking. I'll give it uh, 31-18. Okay. That sounds reasonable. 31-18. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think there'll be a two-pointer at the end when the Giants are trying to come back and They'll get it and fail it on side or something. So, okay, well, that's the perfect way to end it. Wiley, thank you so very, very much for coming back. And just so everybody knows, folks, Wiley's coming back to recap the game. Win, lose, or draw, I'll be back, because and it'll be great. There's nobody. I mean, if we win, as you know, there's nobody better to tear down the New York Giants than Wiley, aka the Venomous Stare. And the state of New York in general. And the state of New York in general. Folks, let me remind you that Cowboys Talk is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Music, as well as YouTube. I want to thank Wiley once again for being here. I want to wish everybody a good night. Go Cowboys. Subscribe. Leave us a rating. Easy. Easy.